Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z to Z again, no matter what Jordan D. White thinks. <laughs> I'm Adam. <laughs> and I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. How, how hey. are you? Are you, feeling, are you feeling powerful today? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm feeling powerful. Uh, I, I'm feeling um, a little snarky. Um, I hate you so much. For... <laughs> hey, is it weird that in comics the snarks are back and they're important? Yeah, sword number one. Snark... There's a snark civil war there... or something. Oh, right? there's a snark war going to happen. Snark war. And it's great. Here's the thing about snark war. I'm Zach, by the way. I don't know if I said my name. I might have. I think um, you did. I think I did. Who cares? I don't know. Y'all, y'all know what's going on in this in this crazy world we live in. Uh, but because because of the impending snark war, I got concerned. <laughs> that you and I would not be sufficient yeah. to properly talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode. So I wanted to bring in um, someone who's read every Marvel comic that's ever existed <laughs> because he hates himself. <laughs> I think. Sometimes people in this world make life decisions that they can't take back, and we just need to find ways to move forward with the choices that we've made. It's Zach Rabaroff. Zach, uh, he's one of our writers for Xavier Files, and he's a friend of ours, and friggin' we wanted him to talk on this show. Hi, Zach, how are ya? I am doing very well, and it's a pleasure to be here, Zach and Adam, so thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here um, to be the the whitey to our show. Uh, well, I can't, I can't, I can't have that put on me enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got it. We got to find some context for that one pretty darn quick. Ama- amazingly, you... that didn't get pulled in editing. <laughs> amazingly, amazingly, someone with the power did keep that in there uh, because we are talking about power this week. We're talking about power pack. Uh, yes. This is the much beloved 1980s series by, you know, everyone's favorite, uh, Louise Weezy Simonson and June Brigman. And we're going to talk about that today um, because do you know why, Zach? And do you know why, Adam? I'm assuming it was a request. Yeah, it is. Uh, one, Mr. Sam Jones did go on over to patreon.com slash battle of the Adam. He reached deep down into his heart and his pocketbook and he... He gave, he gave to us at the $2 a month or higher level uh, and said, I really want you to talk about Power Pack. Don't you know? They're essentially an X-Men book most of the time. And he was not wrong. And he wanted us to talk about a Power Pack story that we're going to talk about at the end of the episode because, dang it, there is a chronological through line in this one. Uh, Well, he sounds like a man of impeccable taste, if you ask me. I mean, listen, I, we'll get to it, but the issue that he uh, selected, I did once see in a long box and without question say, oh, I want to buy this one because um, look at this cover. That's everything I want in a Marvel comic. <laughs> we'll get yeah, to that. 
That was the correct uh, response. Now, uh, all of the stories we are going to talk about today are X-Men related. Uh, so Power Pack, I don't think is essentially an X-Men book because they're not mutants. But I think we could probably use a primer on this. So, uh, Zach R., could you like maybe give us a quick summary of what the Power Pack are all about? Who are they? Well, the Power Pack are four children of the Power Family. And if you want to get a sense of the Power Family, all you have to know is that they are the Simonson family. They are Walter Absolutely. and Louise Simonson and four children. And uh, the Powers, uh, because their father is a scientist, are roped into an ongoing intergalactic conflict between the Chimelians, which are a race of good horse aliens, and the snarks, which are a race of bad, evil aliens, and as a result of their being involved in this, the children are gifted with extraordinary powers uh, about which they can't tell their parents, so they have to secretly act as superheroes in their spare time without their parents knowing about it, and they get into all sorts of crazy adventures together. You ever think how, about how 35 years later they still haven't told their parents? And, and they're still children, 35 years later. One of one of them was able to age into college age. The rest of them still absolutely children. <laughs> well, that makes no sense. But what listen, does? it's Marvel time. Don't argue with it. <laughs> Just say that Alex was the least liked by Franklin and move on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Frank Franklin Richards uh, of the Fantastic Four, uh, also uh, sort of like a part time Power Pack member. Mm. So, sort of like a part-time mutant when you think about it. Stop it. Yeah, he does Stop he does it. he does a lot of things frankly without full commitment it turns out. <laughs> and lots of editorial conflict. Um, so we have encountered Power Pack on this show before um in an issue with Wolverine and being hunted down by Lady Deathstrike. Um these issues are are a little less violent but still have some I feel like Power Pack is known for dealing with some more adult themes, even though they're all children. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's... And there are two ways that this tends to happen. Sometimes it's like a really surprisingly sensitively done story where it's kids going through things that kids go through when they're growing up. And yeah. sometimes it's just the Power Pack stumbling into crossover events that are way too serious for them to be there. And every <laughs> time something extraordinarily violent happens in X-Men history during the 80s, the Power Pack always seem to be on the scene for some reason. Yeah. Now, now the reason for that, to be, to be clear, is because Chris Claremont was edited by Louise Simonson, who's married to Walter Simonson, and Louise, uh, her assistant editor was Anne Nascenti. Right. And the four of them essentially just wrote all the good stuff that Frank Miller didn't write in the 80s. And <laughs> yes, this is this is not wrong. And they just they just like kind of smushed all of their stuff together. And we'll talk about that again later in this episode. Absolutely. Um, well what are we starting off with here, Zach? Because we're going in chronological order. We are. Uh we're gonna start off with Power Pack eleven and twelve, uh where they go underground. Yeah, literally. We're going to head into the sewers, and uh, because it's an X-Men uh, adjacent crossover, we're going to bump into some of our favorite friends, the Morlocks. We're going to get introduced to some of our favorite friends, because mm. there's a bunch of Morlocks who show up in this one who have who never showed up uh, before. 
No, because this uh, is this is actually a really early Morlocks appearance. They'd shown up a couple of times in Uncanny X-Men before then, but they were basically, like, we had met a few of the Morlocks. We met Callisto, we met Mask, but this issue is actually where we meet a lot of what become kind of staples of the Morlock group before the Mutant Massacre. Absolutely. And I gotta say, a lot of this story entails the four kids um, delving into the sewers. Uh, because they, the because more... they were fighting a lost kitten. <laughs> right. They're, they're trying to get a lost kitten. Um, they don't they, they kind of do the opposite of, uh, or is it the opposite? Or what do they do in it when there's a balloon hanging out of a sewer grate? Do they? The small they, child goes into the he sewer goes into, grate. Okay, so they pull an it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and encounter uh, not only the Morlocks, but also uh, a New York City urban legend um, alligators in the sewers. Well, 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 that was the Morlock Piper's fault, to be fair. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we um, should we should note that these uh, these issues were written by Wheezy, uh, pencils by June Brigman, who is absolutely phenomenal in these two, uh, and inks by Bob Wycheck. June Brigman is so the right artist for this series. She co-created the series with Wheezy Simonson, and I don't think there was anybody who could draw kids as well as she did at Marvel in the 80s. Certainly not John Romita Jr., who we'll be talking about a little bit later in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll hold my comment on that. Okay. Um, but You're you going to be outnumbered this time, buddy. <laughs> you are absolutely correct about June Brigman. Um, and it is really great that you have somebody on here that can actually illustrate kids. Because as we've talked about on this show many times, when kids show up, artists get flummoxed. You know, like baby hope, God knows, like what age was she? And it's really clear, like how old the power kids are and they have a range of expressions. Their their bodies don't look like miniaturized adults. They they look like kids. It's as if June Bringman has seen a child. Yes, it does appear that. Way. Well, I don't, I don't know if you know the creators... story about her, but the reason that she was so experienced about, at that was because before she went into comics, she worked in, I think it was a shopping mall, drawing caricatures of like people who would drop by and pay her like a couple of dollars and she would draw their caricature really? at the mall. And so she was drawing a bunch of kids all day and she got really, really good at it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good way to like perfect some expression work too. Cause these kids are not just like stone faced. They are not, you know, angry faced, angry, uh, yelling all the time. They, they have concern on their face. They have, you know, they have actual human expressions, which is fantastic. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, you get a sense of the dynamic of the family. Uh, the power pack for those of you who don't know are Alex power, Julie power, Jack power, and Katie power. Katie power is the sweet young one who can shoot a big ball of energy. Alex is the one that was uh, friends of the fantastic four for a while. Julie dated uh, uh, Carolina from runaways and Jack's the mean one. <laughs> right. Jack, Jack, Jack is the one who, if we were ranking the power pack children would come in dead last. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I've met anyone who's been like, okay, but Jack Power really outshines the others. No, no. <laughs> big, yeah, big, big Jack Power fan. Not not so much the other ones, but big Jack Power fan. 
Well, we, once once we've executed uh, Operation Kitten Rescue, things get uh, a little more X Meny. Um, in, in well, because they forgot here. their homework. Right, they have to go back for their backpacks, and um, the backpacks aren't there. And we do get to meet some of those uh, individual Morlocks that Zach was just talking about, including Erg and uh, the Piper and a uh, person who can put you inside of him like a jar. Oh, you're talking about, you're talking about Ape? <laughs> yes, Ape. Uh, Ape's bad. Ape's a bad... Yo, <laughs> Wheezy June, you messed up with Ape. He's not very good. I think I think Ape is like an all-purpose shape changer, and he just happens to like to change into things where other things can go inside. <laughs> Containers, of them. yeah. There's also the unfortunately named Tar Baby, which um, not yeah, great. That, that's yeah, not great. Speaking of things that didn't get pulled in editing, uh, <sighs> oh boy. Anyway, um, uh, is it weird that Erg and Beautiful Dreamer were both uh, supporting characters on the season two season running TV show The Gifted? <laughs> they were delving deep into that list of names they could use, weren't they? <laughs> they really were. But the probably the most important two Morlocks that are in this are our good boy Leech, who raise your hand if you're a fan of Leech. Love Leech. Oh, Everybody at home, Leech. are you raising your hand? I hope you are. Y'all better have your hands up for our boy Leech, star of X-Men The Last Stand. Um <laughs> Well, if there is a moral from this episode, it is we must protect Leech at all costs. Oh, because Anna Lee's not going to do it? Whew. Uh, yeah. So um, we do get introduced to Anna Lee, um, who has lost her children. Um, Which is bad. It's sad that she has lost her children. Lost her do children. Not get it twisted. We don't hear it here because no writer had decided on it yet, but lost her children to Mr. Sinister. Like, that is an early outgrowth of what would ha become the mutant massacre right right um and in doing so she's really interested in kind of abducting other children and turning them into her lost ones um but that gets put in check because leech is there so annalee can't really use her powers and some of the other morlocks are in check as well and the X-Men are here, too. Nightcrawler and Shadowcat have gone down into the sewers to just, just go check on the Morlocks because Storm's too busy. Just see what's going on. Well, they, they just got back from Japan. Uh, Kitty's got to give Callisto um, a, a t-shirt from uh, from her journey. Which I Caliban. She gives Caliban a I very good t-shirt. Right. Callisto. Say? Because, oh, because no. that's what you get when somebody breaks off your wedding. <laughs> well, he... He did abduct her. I'm sorry. I, I, I said Cal, uh, Callisto instead of Caliban. You know, Caliban or Callisto aside, uh, the X-Men kind of come and they see something weird's happening. Uh, Annalise really mean to Leech is kind of my big takeaway from this story. If you only know Annalise from the X-Men stuff, you might think she's a sweet grandma. Uh, but here she's bad and mean to my friend Leech, and I don't like it. Yeah, Annalise does not like ugly children like oh this, it's a hundred percent just because he's a green weird moppet yeah like this is the thing about it because you want to be sympathetic to her like she lost her kids this is really tragic and she wants new kids to replace them but she doesn't want any of the ugly kids she wants the beautiful kids get those kids she doesn't want leech the one child who could love anyone unconditionally well, the good thing is that Leech does end up with the kitten. 
which is Leech does get a kitten. Get I a forgot kitten. about Leech getting a kitten. <laughs> so he Leech it works out for in this one. He he get, I, he gets a kitten who might be Garfield though. Like based on the way that kitten is drawn and based on the size of that cat, that might be Garfield that he adopted. It was a later Claremont retcon that that cat did hate Mondays, but loved lasagna. <laughs> that was right before the kitten did die in the Mutant Massacre. Leech's yeah, real name. That was true. That's John Arbuckle. That's, that's, that's how the kitten died, right? The ki- this kitten did get murdered in the Mutant Massacre, right? Is that is that what had to have happened? Yeah, I, uh, I, assume, I, don't... I, I think the Mutant Massacre actually occurred to get the kitten is the way I remember it. Oh my gosh! It's sad that this happens to this kitten, uh, but it is good that the Power Pack get to have a fun adventure, and that's what this is like. If you're an if you're a Claremont X Men fan or a, like Simonson X Factor fan, you're gonna like you're gonna see like oh I know that one oh I know that I remember this and it's gonna it's gonna fill in a gap that you don't get when this stuff isn't coming out monthly when you're going back and rereading it. And that's part of what I love about going into these, you know, crossover series like that, especially like your Thors and your daredevils and your power packs where they were all friends. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you're not only meeting a lot of these new Morlocks for the first time, but like you're getting follow up on what happened to Annalie after you found out that she lost her kids back in X-Men and you're finding out that like Storm isn't completely negligent as a leader of the Morlocks she's only mostly negligent as a leader of the Morlocks <laughs> this might have been the most Storm ever tried <laughs> ah, bring him a t-shirt they, this is because this is happening 1985 this is right after the Morlocks got Charles Xavier after he was beaten up and then they dressed him in uh, bondage gear. Yeah, in his, in his leather killer. daddy outfit. This was this was right after that. Uh and you know, they're like this is this is Storm saying y'all did good on this one, guys. Thank you for not murdering my friend. Yeah, for for once. <laughs> uh but these are these are a fun couple of issues. I don't think they're my favorite thing in the world, but it's a uh, they're fun. Any uh, any final thoughts on these? Well, I, I have another thought, but I want to save it for the next story. Um, okay. So where does this go in our giant list, Zach? Well, you know that we have a list, Adam. Yes. Did you know that our list is 441 stories long? Oh, my God. We are on the road to 500. Uh, and we are, brother, we are, we are going down that lonesome trail. Uh, the number one ranked store on our list is House of X Powers of 10, and you can fight us about that. Uh, the number 100 story on our list is Ultimate X-Men 1 through 6, The Tomorrow People. Uh, the 200th story on our list is Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Punisher, Hearts of Darkness. Uh, number 300 on our list is X-Men Age of Apocalypse from 2005, not the one that you know better. Uh, the uh, number 400th story on our list is... Origins, the Wolverine origin story called oh Origins. Boy. No, thank you. <laughs> and 441's the Draco. Uh, I think this is better than Wolverine, Punisher, Ghost Rider, Hearts of Darkness. Um, oof, That is a personal fave, but I will give it to you. I think this has a lot well, of heart. I okay. think it's got a lot of personality. And it's from that I, sort of like golden age of all the series crossing over. 
I think we're actually in the perfect spot because okay. like around there, because 201 is Cap Wolf. Right. And Zach, I know I know you are a, you are a Groony. You're a Groony fan, ain't you? I am I am a Groony fan. Would you would you be willing to say that Cap Wolf might be one or two issues too long? <laughs> it does it does get, if you will, a little long in the tooth. I would I would say this is I would agree. I think this is a bit better than Cap Wolf. Uh but just a few spots up on the list at 179 is Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Uh, which happens right around this era. I think Kitty Pride and Wolverine is better. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, I think I, I mean, for all of its like wonderfulness, um, it's ultimately not like the most lasting story of all time. You know, like I don't, I don't see myself revisiting this, uh, quite a bit. Um, like at 191, we have Girls Nights Out, uh, which is uncanny 15.inh. I, I like that one better than this. Um, uh, one, one, I think that's a good point. Now, right below that is Uncanny X Men 194, Juggernaut's back in town, where they just mm-hmm. have a Juggernaut fight. Right. 193 is Uncanny X Men Annual 18, which is the one that you may or may not have written. We are, can never be sure. <laughs> <laughs> with jubilee and candy um yep. um okay 194 is ms marvel healing factor six yeah. and seven yeah which i think is better than this but this is better than x-men gold 30 uh, just keep in mind we're putting this ahead of fatal attractions i know what i know what we're that we're putting it we'll ahead of putting fatal this ahead of the first appearance of juggernaut which i absolutely yeah. love Ah, it's better than New Mutants 38 to 40 Aftermath. Okay, yeah, I'll get behind that. Which is right when they're all very depressed. All right, so I'm going to say first appearance of Juggernaut is better than this. Okay, because I was going to say my ceiling is Fatal Attraction. I want to say it's better than Fatal Attractions, but I will defer to you. (laughs) All right, so what is this? Our new 199? Uh, 199. Uh, Power Pack 11 and 12. When nice they go showing the power pack. Not not too shabby for for what is the first power pack issue to make it onto your list. Well, here's the thing: the list is there's a lot of good X Men stories on here that I like a lot, and there's a ton of bad ones. But like, okay, the bad ones definitely start somewhere between 200 and 300, and I don't <laughs> exactly know where. <laughs> There's this magical spot where it's 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 a little subjective. Um, now, I did say I had a comment about that last story, and it ties into our next story, which is Uncanny X-Men 195, um, which is Chris Claremont, John Romita, Dan Green, basically doing the same exact story again. Um, like two months in, later. In X-Men. Um, and it's teased in the last panel of the Power Pack story, but... It is weird to me that, like, we kind of get this PG version of the story in Power Pack, but now we kind of get the, like, PG-13 version of the story in Uncanny X-Men. Like, it's These a are little both. darker. These are both July 1998 cover, or 1985 cover dates. Yeah, this, this These is were like on a the same stands. month crossover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Like it's it's just weird to me that they're they're repeating it like this. But um, this one starts with the the power pack parents forgetting they had children. 
<laughs> Yikes. Right. It turns out that they just live in a very large New York apartment with two completely empty rooms. Yeah, I guess. Uh, no, no way to afford that rent these days but i guess at that point maybe they're rent controlled i don't know it was it was it was subsidized by the university that the dad worked for i'm pretty sure they said that somewhere <laughs> now uh zach R., you wanted to comment on john ramita jr's ability to draw kids which is definitely not at the height of uh, june brigman's skills so it's not june brigman and i want to and i want to be clear i'm actually a really big fan of john ramita jr during this era i think he looks fantastic on x-men he should not be drawing children. Whenever he puts a child in his art, it looks like when a baby pops up in a Renaissance painting and the artist was just, like, <laughs> terrified and bewildered and did not know what to do. Like, th- those those children, there's, there's something a little bit frightening about those children in ways that they're not supposed to be frightening. Yeah, JRJR has this uh, recurring group of, um, like, street miscreants that go through his, the Daredevil run with Nascenti as well. Um, and I feel like he gets a better handle on it, but he falls into something which a, a lot of artists trying to draw kids do, which is just make the features as giant as they can be, which is a legitimate thing that small kids have, but you have to do it in moderation. And these but they kids... also have blocky John Ramita Jr. faces jo- and yes. bodies on top of right. That. It's it's the combination of the blocky faces and the big big like et eyes there's yeah. something a yeah. little bit wrong about that, it right well we uh are upping the ante here because annalee just straight up kidnaps the kids um mask actually transforms i believe it's julie's face uh or is it katie i don't which it's which, julie julie because uh, okay. katie because katie goes to find the x-men and then it's up to the uh the x-men to go and rescue them from the morlocks Yep. <laughs> That's, that is that is pretty much the plot of the issue. And then it's just a big old Morlock brawl. It's it's a 20-page issue. Ten pages are of the power pack just doing a power pack thing. Be like, where are our parents? And then the X-Men eventually show up. Because uh, uh, Kitty Pride sees... Oh, I, I, I am sorry. It was Katie that got uh, maskified. And ah. Kitty Pride, Kitty Pride fi- figures her... Grabs Wolverine, Rachel, and Rogue, uh, and goes and rescues the kids. And then Kitty says, Annalie, it's really sad that your kids died. Here's Leech. Be Leech's mom. <laughs> right. Just take take this kid. Here's a kid. Morlocks Here's have kid. one kid. And then Katie, Katie Power, who's very sweet, says, well, you can be our underground secret grandma. <laughs> Which is a very child thing to do. Like, Which is that, also, I believe. And she, extremely and she's totally gracious. sincere about it. There will be follow-up. She means this. She's not just going to forget about this old lady. It is yeah, kind of wild, though. I mean, given the circumstances, you just got kidnapped by this lady that lives in the sewer. And you're like, cool. I mean, similar to Caliban uh, kidnapping Kitty and Kitty offering friendship. Like, the moral of the story is if you get kidnapped by someone in a sewer, you have to become friends with them. Listen, if they're living in the sewer, they've had it rough. Yeah, things things are probably not going the way that they had initially planned. But I I like the sincerity from Katie in this. Uh, I think I think 
when John Romita Jr. is drawing X-Men things, he's doing a pretty good 1985 John Romita Jr. job. Yes. And he's really good with the action sequences. Like, once once we get into the Morlock fight, he's kinetic, it's clear, you always know where everything's situated. He just does a great job with the fight scenes. Yeah, it's the quieter moments that... JR, uh, JR, um, that's not, like, usually his strength. His, his strength is on these, like, big brawls, especially in the X-Men period. Um so I think we just wrapped it up. I mean, there's not a lot going on here. Uh, it, it is a, a pretty much a rehash of the, of the previous story in a lot of ways, um, just in a different book and just in one issue. And then the same month, that's a weird way to do a crossover, right? Well, I it, mean, I think, you know, crossing over with X-Men was going to goose sales for anything. So I don't really blame the Power Pack creative team for wanting to get some of that. So I don't disagree with that because that's objectively true. But they could have just had like, like, did they have to show up in X-Men? <laughs> or could Chris, could Chris have like done a different story than the exact same story that Wheezy was telling that month? Like, imagine reading these out of order. Imagine going to the newsstand and picking these up. And saying, well, X-Men's my favorite. I'm going to start with that. I mean, either way you read it, you're going to be like, I just read this. <laughs> yeah, I think there, it, it's, it's, it feels like a weird hiccup in coordination where I think that X-Men was supposed to be a follow-up to the Power Pack issue. And I don't think they realized that the plots were quite as similar as they turned out to be. Right, right, right. But But all of that said, I think there are some really good x-men moments in this even even if the power pack all look a little bit weird and even if their story is basically a rerun of what everybody just read in power pack that month the x-men actually advance really well like there's there's a great moment in that issue where wolverine is about to just go nasty on the morlocks during the fight and mm -hmm. kitty who's had to basically take over leadership of the x-men because they're so short-handed at that point knows that he's going to do this and she knows that she's not okay with it but it's got to be done because this is what wolverine does in these fights so she basically just turns to him and says do what you have to do i'm not going to tell you yes i'm not going to tell you no i'm going to leave the room do what yeah. you have to do and it's i remember when i first read that that was the moment when i realized okay this lady's going to end up a leader of the x-men someday like, if you, mm. if you well, want to think of her as eventually becoming an X-Men leader, like, decades down the road, that's a slow burn that starts right there. There's a line in this, because Nightcrawler was leading the X-Men at the time, but he was doing a very good one-off issue. He was reluctant. Uh, by himself. And he was kind of a bad leader, let's be fair, in this, this era. Yeah. He's not, there's he's not a, a wartime console, Gary. <laughs> he's not. But there's, there's a point where it's Kitty and Rachel and Rogue... And Wolverine, and Wolverine just kind of looks at it and says, okay, 14-year-old Kitty Pride, you are obviously the most level-headed, stable, and mature right. of us four. <laughs> Could you be the leader here? And she says, I guess. I mean, sure. look around that room and tell me who else you're going to have take over that team. Oh, no, he's making the right call, which is upsetting in different ways, <laughs> just of, like, her having to live her life. But it's, he's right. It's the right call, though. Right. 
All right. So in this terms does of have ranking good the, stuff, yeah, in terms of ranking this thing, I don't think it's as good as the, the power pack story though. Um, just don't, I mean, it's, it's a solid issue of X-Men, but um, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it feels uh, re- repetitive. Um, I guess on its own, it's fine. I, I don't know. I just, since we read both of them, I, I have to compare the two and I, I don't think it's as good as the other one. Well, I think I think you're right there. Uh, looking down the list, I'm seeing at 112, Uncanny X-Men Disassembled. And I think this is better than that. 212. 212, excuse me, yes. Uh, yeah, I think I think we could definitely put it above that. Would you put it ahead of, um, at 210, we have Brood Trouble in the Big Easy? Yes. Okay. I would. Zach, would you put this above Brood Trouble in the Big Easy? I would pretty easily put this above Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. This definitely has more heart. Um, you know where I would put it is right above uh, Jump the Shark from Ultimate Spider-Man, where Wolverine and Spider-Man trade bodies. And right below that wacky Ultimate Comics John Hickman Hawkeye series that we just talked about recently. I think that's about right. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of love for that Hawkeye series. Zach, we should have had you on for weird end of Ultimate Universe continuity stuff. Oh, man. That that gets so <laughs> weird. It is. It's really People strange. People forget that the Ultimate Universe kept going after y'all forgot about it. I'm not convinced that it's not still going and nobody's noticed for the last, <laughs> like, five years. They're still publishing. I feel like, I feel like in the last last chunk of time... Since we've done this podcast, at least, the Ultimate Universe has come back, like, four times. Yeah. It, it did not die long. And it's not even staying dead in, like, a reasonable, normal way. Like, I feel like Bendis had a thing where he kind of brought it back a little bit. I feel like Ewing kind of brought it back a little bit. Kate's brought it back a little bit. Uh, what's this? Saladin Ahmed kind of brought it back a little bit. You, you, in, had, uh... you had you had one job, Secret Wars crossover. You had one <laughs> job, and it was just a, it was it just a it was just a put that you were you were supposed to be their second. They were they were performing Harry Carey, and you needed to be there to ensure that you know they got their honor through. And you just didn't Secret Wars, and, and that's yet, an issue. And yet, Jimmy Hudson is still running around the six one six somewhere. <laughs> is it is it obvious that I've been reading a lot of Asagi Yojimbo, in that the only way I can think of an honorable death is by ritual suicide? <laughs> it's okay. You get the same thing when you read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, it's just that's the way it is. There is no seppuku in uh, our our final uh, story, which this is the request, right, Zach? This is the request, and this is a this is a comic that I um that it's it's our it's our episode art. So take a look at the lineup of this comic. Uh, it's written by Louise Simonson. Uh, art on this one, uh, it's a double size issue. So there's a couple of artists, uh, Brent Anderson and Scott Williams, uh, do the art on this. Uh, Terry Austin, uh, Scott Williams, and Sam De La Rosa do some inks. It's Power Pack 19 featuring the Power Pack. Mm. Cloak and Dagger. Whoa. Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And Beta Ray Bill from the Pages of the Mighty Thor. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> also, come, Franklin Richards. How come Cloak and Dagger don't get a cover uh, uh, cameo here? Everybody else is on the cover. 
everyone else is on the cover. Um, the thing is, Beta Ray Bill is a very good horseman, and he was so hot right now. Uh, so Wheezy had to make sure that her husband's glorious, glorious creation did get that center billing. It's fantastic. Uh, we also need to mention the villain of this episode, the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, especially yes, Macy's Kermit, Day. Kermit, Kermit, the, Frog Kermit, Kermit the Frog, the villain of this piece. <laughs> yeah, no, guys, Kermit the Frog gets into a fight. Um, a large balloon Kermit the Frog is a centerpiece here, which is very good because... So... You remember how we said that the power pack tied into all the X-Men crossovers? That ain't all. <laughs> they also tied into all of the Thor stuff that was Christ. going on. Yeah. Uh, and and I'd be remiss. I think a lot of people know power pack from like the educational one-offs that they did. Like the, the Spider-Man one, which is about abuse. Like people got introduced to these characters through like promotional freebies. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways. And then, of course, then they're all over all the other issues uh, of everybody else's series. Um, yeah, this this one is them cross, you're dealing with the fallout of the Cert War. Right. <laughs> yeah. Zach, you 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 are you are a Marvel expert. Would you like to explain that? What 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 that doom was that doom the doom? I feel like we need an entire other podcast to explain this, but it is it is the epic dramatic height of the Walter Simonson Thor run in which the end of all that has ever existed uh, in the realm of Asgard and all others is very narrowly averted through the sacrifice of Thor, the, the, the sacrifice of Odin, the heroism of Thor, and the allyship of virtually every other character in the Marvel Universe. It's pretty rad. It also rules. <laughs> it is an amazing, amazing story. If anybody listening to this podcast has not read at least that portion of Walt Simonson's Thor, go read that right now. I mean, finish listening to the podcast, but then go read that immediately. It's yeah, good advice. it holds up. It's so freaking good. Uh, but during during that and the events leading up to it, uh, the uh, the the mom of the Power Pack, uh, Louise Simonson, I don't remember their mom's actual name, but it's Wheezy. She got she got uh, sent to the hospital by Curse. You remember from Thor: The Dark World? Mm. That's right. Uh, and. The power family is not doing so hot. Uh, their dad uh, makes a point, like he has to go to the hospital and visit her on Thanksgiving. Uh, Alex is trying to keep things together, uh, but he's doing a bad job and feels like he has to be responsible for everybody and also feels like if his parents are suffering, then everyone also must suffer because uh, he's, you know, like everyone else in this world, a fallen, broken person. <laughs> Julie's <laughs> trying to go be ahead. the mom. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Jack's, Jack's doing Jack things and Katie is being the greatest character in the world because she's decided that we're going to have Thanksgiving, but we're going to have Thanksgiving with a bunch of friggin' weirdos. <laughs> every, it's a great, every great idea. weird, super powered person that the power pack have ever met in their publication history at this point. That's the guest list for their Thanksgiving. And not all of them can make it like they there's a point Katie's like, yeah, I'm five years old and I could not find uh, the uh, drug fighting street runaways cloak and dagger by myself. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> they do have. But a I did have the X Men's address, so I sent them an invite. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, the other central conflict, aside from who's coming to dinner, is um, that Anna Lee is um, uh, once again proving how awful she is. Locks Leech in a box. In a box like somehow somehow Annalie did not bottom out as a human being in the last story we talked about this is the nadir of Annalie this is it terrible this is the moment that I was like I feel like Annalie's kind of like the first named victim of the mutant massacre (laughs) because uh Grey Crow does shoot her really good in a really big double page splash where she flies across and I was like, oh, no, she's an old lady, and she got shot. And I felt bad every time I read The Mutant Massacre. And now I'm like, between this and Hellions being good, I'm like, maybe Grey Crow <laughs> maybe, made some valid Maybe, points you here. know, even a stopped clock. <laughs> he was I, – I hope Anna Lee is living in the in, – in the Arizona retirement community that they set up for the Morlocks because they didn't want to be in Krakoa <laughs> and living her best life with her children and that she never is within a hundred yards of Leech again. Oh man. Yeah. Especially because Leech has to run through uh, the aforementioned parade and get chased by the people, the very nasty people who are carrying the Kermit the Frog balloon. <laughs> I feel so bad for him. Oh, he suffers so much in these stories. He suffers so much in every story. Yeah. And, until until he makes his friend Artie, which at this point hadn't happened yet. Right. This is this is pre-Artie, Artie and Leech. Oh, man. But what does happen this in this is... story is he gets his clothes. He finally stops wearing that smock that we've seen him in in like every previous appearance. And basically the one outfit that he will ever own for the rest of his publication history, he gets in this issue. He just looks at everybody and he just says, warm. (laughs) It's so good. I love Leech so much. It is a little, I, I gotta hand it to Leech because Leech got locked in a box by this lady and he's still like affirms that he has caring feelings for her and wants to be a family with her at the end of this issue. And I'm like, dude, because he, he's the best child. She locked Leech's, you in a box. Leech's love is unconditional is the thing you have to understand. Um, but yeah, so uh, the powers father does miss all the fun superhero shenanigans um, that happen at the makeshift Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, everybody has a, a nice Thanksgiving. Beta Ray Bill and Franklin Richards show up too. It's mm-hmm. fine. No one comments on the fact that Beta Ray Bill, an alien horseman who's also <laughs> Thor, is just like vibing with him. Right. No, nobody even comments that even in his somewhat uh, human form, which basically is like an orange, uh, like no featured humanoid version with an overcoat on, no one notices. <laughs> No, that makes sense though. That's a that's a tried and true uh, comic tradition. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if anybody wearing a trench coat and especially a trench coat and a hat is thoroughly undetectable by the rank and file of humanity. <laughs> Honestly, most people probably just looked at him and said, "Oh, Ben Grimm started using moisturizer. Good for him." Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Really Such smooth skin. Man, really, really slimmed down. Ben Grimm did. <laughs> good for good for him. <laughs> no, it's it's a this is a fun issue. Like. If we did Thanksgiving episodes, mm. this is one of the 
three Thanksgiving comics we could actually cover. Because we could only ever do one Thanksgiving episode, I think. There's not that many Thanksgiving comics, unfortunately. But it's a heartwarming issue. It's a found family of superheroes. And we didn't even mention the X-Men and all of this. But, oh, yeah. but, but Kitty Pride and Wolverine, and Wolverine are there. Up. Basically because Kitty Pride can't go back to her family anymore. Because her like she's on the outs. Like her, her dad had that whole thing in Japan where he turned out to be working with the Yakuza. And her parents yeah. split up anyway. So she needs some place yeah. to go. And Wolverine is looking out for Kitty ever since they had their Japan adventure. So they're there. You ever think about how Kitty Pride's dad does suck a lot, but she still hasn't, like, hung out with her mom all that much. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the situation of their divorce is, and that's fine. But it feels feels like she could have given her mom, like, if she wanted if she wanted some additional family. So you're so you're waiting for the miniseries that gives us all the details of of the Pride parents divorce so that you understand the family (laughs) dynamics going on here. Hey, Zach. As a kid who had his family divorced, okay. I would probably resonate very hard and cry a good amount on that comic. I mean, that, that comic, comic yes. probably would have sold, and it would have just been emotionally devastating for everybody. Oh, that sounds... Okay, wait. If Anne Nascenti wrote it, though, mm-hmm. which would be very real... Yeah, that's that's too like real, he... man. You got to keep Nascenti away from that series. <laughs> I feel like Nascenti would go too over the top about how divorce is ruining people's lives. It'd, it'd be a societal uh, but... effect of of some other uh, yeah. societal ill. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be about how. I guess it wouldn't be about how divorce is bad, but more how uh, broken families and bad uh, bad short term decision making has caused other societal problems. That this is just simply. A, uh, it's a symptom. A symptom of. That sounds like an ascentic comic. <laughs> right, right. It's it's going to be how divorce comes about because of the alienation of society caused by the mass media driven by corporations. I love Anna Senti so too. much. I, her daredevil is, again, my, my short list of reading all of comics is finish up the last like three trades of Asagi Yojimbo. Read Power Pack now, I guess. <laughs> All of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to town. This is great. We're not even stopping next week. It's just going to be Power Pack City. Uh, but then the Nascenti Daredevil, because I just finished the Miller Daredevil. And turns out, Frank Miller, also pretty good in 1986. Zach, uh... Zach discovering important things about 1980s <laughs> comics. Hey, it turns out. Yeah, we. No one was lying. He's pretty. I good don't know if you've heard about this "Born Again," folks, but there's <laughs> something going on here. You will enjoy that very much. Uh, I uh, Nascenti J.R.J.R. Daredevil. I said it many times on the show. is one of my favorite runs. Um, this comic. I don't know. How do we feel about this as a, a, a opposed to the other two stories here? Um, this is my favorite of the week. I don't know about okay. you. Okay. Okay. This is a fantastic comic. I. I question, I question the, I'm just going to say this. Anybody who doesn't enjoy this comic on some level, I question their capacity to feel emotions. And frankly, (laughs) I think that they need to take a good long look at themselves and ask some tough questions. That's all I'm saying. I think that's more than fair. Now at 179 on the list, we do have the, uh, we just talked about the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries. Better or worse than that? I would say better. Okay. So we're going up the list here. How high are you willing to go, Zach? Okay, so this is going to be... This is actually a good spot on the list. So 
looking up at 164 is Twas the Night Before, Uncanny X-Men 230, another heartwarming holiday tale. Yes. Where all the X-Men play Santa Claus because <laughs> computers can't see them. Because the Reavers have treasure in their basement. <laughs> a, Re- a Reaver ghost story. That is a good one. Yes. I think it's about on the same level as that. Okay. It's probably not better than Amazing Spider-Man 92, where J. Jonah Jameson uh, declares that democracy is important and that corruption cannot stand in his city. I mean, I think that's a really good spot for it, actually. It's another holiday story. Uh, not Amazing Spider-Man, but but the Twas the Night Before I mean, I certainly. I mean, Amazing Election Day should be a holiday, so maybe uh, Amazing Spider-Man is kind of a okay. Yeah, I can. It can, can be retconned into a holiday story <laughs> in the future. Is the good thing about that one? Yeah, and I, I certainly wouldn't go too much higher. Like, I think I definitely wouldn't put it at, above one hundred and sixty, which is the New Mutants Annual number one. So, um, it's not as good as when they stole a planet. <laughs> no, it is not. So, is this our new one hundred and sixty-four? I would say yes, because it's better than men. It's better than the Tim Seeley Shatterstar series. Uh, it is better than uh, the anatomy of a monster from X-Men 75. Uh, it's better than X-Men Agents of Atlas. Yeah, this is yeah. a good place on the list. This is a good place on the list. 164. Um, and that's who's coming to dinner. Uh, but first off, I want to thank the person who came to our dinner, Zach Rabaroff. Well, it has been my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me uh, on this episode of Top of the Pack, the show where you rank all the issues of Power Pack from A to Jack at the bottom. I cannot emphasize enough that there is a podcast that does that. It's called Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack. I have been on it. I don't believe Adam's been on it. I have not. Uh, So give him a ring, uh, Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, if you want to hear more about the pack. Yeah, highly Um, recommend that podcast, too. Seriously. It's it's a lot of fun to drink beer and talk about the power pack. I did it again tonight. Um, in case anyone was curious, I was just having a very basic Yingling traditional lager because it's the best cheap beer around. We forgive you. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it was either that or PBR. And our, since our there is no ethical consumption. Beer. Yeah, yeah. I was telling Adam just before it came to Ohio where I'm located as I turned 21, that same <laughs> summer. So I have a lot of fond memories of uh, some Yingling traditional lager. It's it's a touchstone beer. <laughs> but enough about that. Hey, Zach, where can people find you if they want to uh, see what you've got going on in the wild world of sports and or comic criticism? Well, they can find me uh, at, a, at a little, uh, it's, it's a comic uh, criticism and review site called uh, Xavier Files. It's XavierFiles.com. Uh, which at the time of this recording, I guess, is still in publication. I I don't I don't yeah, know what the it status has, is going to be by the time this broadcasts. I believe when this broadcasts, it will be dead in seventeen days. Oh, okay. Wow. So 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 wow. it'll still be alive for a little while. Uh, so you should you should certainly check us out there uh, uh, before it dies. Yeah, it's long of the tooth, uh, and it's time we it's time we put Xavier Files out to pasture, and we we just. You know what? We're just we're just gonna see what happens. Well, it had a after good run. That. I don't think anyone it can had argue a, with that. And uh, it, it had a never, great and, run. And, you know, a wise man once said, "Everything dies." Every he, 
you've got to finish that series, Zach. I'm telling you, <laughs> you, you like Jonathan Hickman's work. You've got to, you've got to make your way oh, all the way I through the end. I feel like I end. got the gist. Okay, yeah, it's all nihilism and no hope. Yes. <laughs> See now, I me as you. a New Jersey native, I was just assuming you were quoting Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yeah, and that baby, everything that's a comes fact. back. <laughs> and we'll see if everything comes back. Uh, Mr. Jenkins, where can people find you? Uh, nowhere except for the aforementioned XavierFiles.com, soon to be deceased. Also on Twitter at XavierFiles. That's where you can get all of the latest and greatest X Men news. I know as we are in, I say X Men and I say news, but there's actually very little news and increasingly less x-men proportionally on this site there is some good stuff about uh giga from vault Mm -hmm. that is a vault that's not aftershock right that's vault that's vault yeah that's vault that's vault uh there's also stuff from aftershock just not giga uh (laughs) on there stuff from image we even we even dip our toes into detective comics comics if you want to hear people (laughs) talk about batman he's very popular i've heard of that character me too He's a bat. He's a detective. <laughs> Listen, that column is covering like the number one book in comics. And it's like the number 20th column on our site. But it's uh, it's a good run that it's got there. But no, we're covering a lot of stuff. Detailed coverage of The King in Black. Mm. If you're very interested in what Noel's doing. And Void. Uh, and Void. Yeah, he is Noel and Void Noel now. Noel <laughs> That's both a spoiler and a terrible pun. Uh, so you've got that going for you. Uh, and then also, uh, you, can, you can't really find me there, but you can find this show conceptually at patreon.com slash battle of the atom, uh, where you can be like our great patron and requester, Sam Jones, who went on over there, threw money our way, and said, y'all, I'd love you to talk about Power Pack. And we did, and it was fun. And thank you again, Sam. Thanks, Sam. If you want to be like him, <laughs> you can uh, do that. You can do that. Be like Sam, There's everybody. Other... Get, give money to this podcast uh, and read Power Pack. Do yeah. what Sam does. Request so we Listen. can cover it in 2023. <laughs> Shut up. We cannot tell people how long the list is, Adam. It's so long. <laughs> So Y'all, long. this podcast may may outlive me. Don't say uh, that. And that's, that's upsetting. Uh, um, hey, Adam, where can people find you? I'm sorry, we've stretched out this end oh, a good amount. That's fine. Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. And uh, what do we got going on next week, Zach? Next week, it's our uh, it's our Christmas. Ooh. And we figured we had Zach this week, and that that makes it a double Zach this week. Mm-hmm. So we've got to balance that out. Yeah, yeah. We got by it. adding by adding a Chris and a Christie mm. to the podcast, so that it's it's double Chris's, and then before double Zach's. So <laughs> we're just doubling up on all of the important uh, people in this podcast. We'll probably get a few Charlies in here, a couple of Stephanies. Just all the most important people will have will have doubles on this show. I feel like that's uh, that's what's going to happen, right? Maybe a few Leahs. A couple Cover, Jordans. Covering all the best names on this show. All the best names on this show. I, I, I feel like you didn't say my name. Did I? <laughs> I? I must have. I must have. I must have. But, oh, oh my gosh, I am sorry. Um, what is that? The, the editor is giving me the light. Uh, we've got to get time, out of here. One last, one last time, thank you so much, Zach, for being on this show. But until next time, 
This has been Bow the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!